Well, good morning to all of you. Hope the weekend is treating you well. If, you're, if your neighborhoods that you live in are anything like mine, you know well that Fourth uh, of July is upon us. As last night after some thunder, we had fireworks already till about one in the morning, and uh, the dog and the young kids didn't like it so much. So I hope you all had some sleep, but we have much to celebrate with the birth of our nation coming on Wednesday. And as 4th of July approaches to us, we probably know there will be, just like all of the holidays, some of those old-fashioned movies that are classics that just catch well the image of those holidays. And one of those is The Sandlot. You will probably see that on some channel in the next week, maybe multiple times. If you've never seen this movie, it is about a young group of elementary-age guys that are in a neighborhood and they share a passion for baseball. And there's a scene in that movie which I thought would explain what is going on, be a good illustration for our gospel this morning. If you, I hope I do it due diligence if you've never seen it. And this is when young Squints, Squints Palidorus, one day there is, it's too hot. It's just one of those summer days that's very hot. And they're like, we can't play baseball in this. We need to do the other thing that we love to do. So they go to their neighborhood pool. And in this comes one of the greatest moments of desperation of young Squint's life. Apparently, he's nine years old, but he thinks he's much older than that. And he has developed a little crush on the lifeguard that sits and watches over the pool. Her name is Wendy Peppercorn. And he has finally had it as he declares to his little group of friends at nine years old, (laughs) I've been coming here all of my adult life. And I have been watching that lifeguard up there all of these years, and I have finally come to the point where I need to declare my love for her. And as he's building this conversation with the guys, you can see that he is about to do something desperate, a desperate act to meet his desperation of telling this lifeguard that he has a crush on her. So what he does is he goes and to, to the deep end where he has never been off before. And slowly, you can tell he's terrified, he climbs to one of the diving boards. And he's never gone off the end, and he doesn't even know how to swim. And this is his plan that the lifeguard would come to save him, and it would develop an opportunity for him to have conversation. So his guys are all really nervous about it because none of them know how to swim and they always stay in the shallow end. And then he's really timidly going to the end of the diving board and he even waves at the lifeguard to make sure she's zeroed in on him. And then all of a sudden he goes off. His desperation led him to a great moment of a desperate act to try to make this plan come to fruition. And what happens is he goes under, he's holding his nose, and he just knows he's going to be saved. 
It takes a little longer as they make it a little dramatic in the show, but eventually his friends are like, oh my God, save him, save him, save him. And the lifeguard throws off her life, her, her, her glasses, sunglasses, dives in to save him, and then the plan begins to unfold, and it's working. She pulls him out, and he's faking being unconscious. And uh, so little little trickery uh, on the part of the lifeguard, but she starts doing CPR. And his friends are like, oh my gosh, did this plan back, did it uh, go, did it fail? And in this great, great scene, she is like going mouth to mouth and then going down and looking at something else, and he happens to open his eyes and wink at his buddies. And then acts, he goes back to acting like he's sick, and they're like, what, what is going on? And then the ultimate happens. He reaches up and holds her head a little longer while she is giving him mouth to mouth, and he gets a two-second kiss in. And, of course, the lifeguard is furious. They get thrown out and banned for the rest of the summer. But his act of desperation leads to the lifeguard and him get married. And we hear in the ending credits that they have nine kids and they live happily ever after. (laughs) A great act of desperation that led to hope comes from that scene. And today, we have that in our gospel in Mark this morning. We have two very different characters that we heard about in Jairus, and then a woman that is not named, that is hemorrhaging, that has some kind of condition that has to do with 12 years of blood. And two very different people that are going through two very desperate times in their lives, and yet there is a common bond that unites them both. So that's how we're going to spend the rest of the sermon time. We're going to talk about Jairus, we're going to talk about this bleeding woman, and then we're going to make sense of what that means to all of us. First, we have and hear about Jairus. And he is a leader in the synagogue. And he sounds like a pretty popular guy. We can liken that to today, the the pastor that's at one church for 25 years. Or a leader that's on the town council for that same amount of time. They've been around. They are recognized as leaders and respected. And people love them. And yet, as he would have contact with Jesus and the larger people the population around the temple, he would hear that this Jesus had just in the first five chapters of the Gospel of Mark, we see he's done some pretty miraculous things, some exorcisms, some healings, and some great teachings. And we hear his little daughter at 12 years old is on her deathbed. And so Jairus breaking, doing just like Squint did, He's a leader in the synagogue. And as Jesus was being called out, he went to this leader that was already, this prophet that was already gaining words. And people had already didn't like what he was teaching and were already planning to send him to his death. And yet in a moment of great desperation, Jairus goes to Jesus and says, 
please heal my little girl. And we hear how it ends. Uh, We have this in the middle, the woman story with the hemorrhaging woman. And then it goes back to Jairus. And it's great pandemonium at his house when Jesus gets there, as a lot of people think his daughter has passed away. Great wailing and weeping. And Jesus tells them, she's not dead. She is just asleep. And he uses the word Talitha Kum, which is Aramaic for little girl, get up. And she is healed as she meets, and Jairus meets Jesus, the real Jesus, in that moment. Fast forward to this woman that we don't know her name. And it's interesting, we know Jairus' name, but we don't know the woman's name. And there's a few theological perspectives on why that is. And one of those is that because she has been bleeding, she's had this condition for 12 years. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, something that long that you're going through in that culture meant that you were unclean and that not even the priests could touch you to heal you. You had been outcast from your faith community, from sometimes your family and friends, and yet this woman in desperation, she has been looking for a cure. She has spent all of her money on doctors, and we hear that her condition is not even bettering. It is getting worse. After 12 years, can you imagine the desperation? A, she just wants to be healed, to be whole, just to be normal. But on a deeper level, healing of being invited back into, not being seen as ritually unclean, to be clean, to be normal, and to be part of her faith community. This is when she sees Jesus and the disciples moving along the road. And in an act, another act of great desperation, she's, she's also heard the stories. He's healed some. He's doing great miracles. If I can just sneak up and touch his garment as he goes by, maybe, just maybe, I will have healing across all the spectrums that I am looking for it. And terrified, she girds up the courage, and she does just that. But you have to realize just how desperate and an act of confidence in this desperation as being someone that is unclean, as she is approaching to sneak up on a rabbi just to get touch. In that culture, it meant that she would also make that rabbi unclean. And yet she hears I think there's something different about this Jesus. So I am willing, I am desperate enough to make him unclean. And maybe I will find healing that way. So she, the best she can, sneaks up, hoping nobody sees her. Because if they see an unclean person reaching to touch one of the leaders of the synagogue, one of the rabbis, she could be stoned. For that, In her act of desperation, she could lose her own life. But we hear, as Mark continues how what happens in the gospel, she sneaks up on Jesus, gets a touch of that garment as he passes by, and immediately she knows that she is healed. Twelve years of battling with that hemorrhage gone. 
she is made whole. And Jesus, we hear, realizes the power that his grace has flown out from him and gone into somebody, and yet she is so sneaky. She is used to being unclean and making sure she doesn't touch anybody that she hides herself and just falls back into the crowd. And he asked the disciples, who touched me? And their answer is, you're in a crowd. Who cares? Why, why does this matter? And Jesus says, it matters. And you will see why. And he asks again, who touched me? And we hear, we see that this woman is out of, trier, uh, out of fear and trembling. She approaches Jesus, knowing that she has been made whole and, heal and healed. And she says, it was me who touched you. And we, instead of Jesus getting angry, we see that he doesn't even care that ritually that he has been made unclean too. And she said, and he, he says to her, little child, your faith has made you well. Now go and be in peace. Can you imagine the crowd there watching this scene, knowing that he, Jesus has been made unclean and that this could lead to the stoning of the woman in that culture. And yet he says, you have been made well. Go and be in peace. So what does this gospel say to us? Much like Squints Palladorus, we have all been through our own moments of desperation. You may have gone through it in the past, and, and today you are clean and living into faith. Or you might be in that moment of desperation now. And the one I shared from the Sandlot is a fun, cute one. But our moments of desperation, they, they can be that fun and cute, or they can challenge us and lead, lead us through really dark times, as we hear with Jairus and this woman that is healing. So what do we do with this as 21st century followers of Christ? In our moments of desperation, the link between Jairus and this woman that is hemorrhaging, we hear two totally different people that are yet going through very, the tie that binds them together. They are going through these moments of desperation, and they each know that they desperately need to seek Jesus. They are facing things that they cannot do on their own with the possible death of a child and a 12-year medical condition that is only getting worse. These two very different people across the spectrum of life are brought together by those two things. They share a moment of deep desperation, and then they think they know the cure in desperately sinking, seeking an encounter with Jesus the Christ. And it is like that for us in our moments of desperation. We all carry around wounds. If you're a theology nerd, you know there, there is this old doctrine called original sin, which means that we come into this world and of no fault of our own, it is just broken. 
And out of that brokenness comes what I like to call the self-inflicted wounds. The things we do to ourselves that lead us down wrong paths of separation from God. And we know those all so well. And we may have a pattern of doing those things which actually cause us to not even trust ourselves. Leaving deep and open wounds when we don't love ourselves enough to trust ourselves that we won't do that any longer. And then there's the all too well that we know the wounds that others do to us. Those of us we may not know and then those that might be very close to us. We all know betrayal, being stabbed in the back and the open wounds of brokenness and desperation that we can find ourselves in when we get to that point. But when we, if you've been there, and if you're sitting in the pew this morning, I assume you have been there. Maybe you have come through it, and maybe you are in a desperate time right now. But what we see in the gospel is great hope for us this morning. Just like Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman, we can, in our desperation, lean on Christ for healing, to be made whole. He will meet us where we are, and through that, our greatest act of healing, we find our salvation. As we press into finishing the word part, God's word this morning, and as we prepare our hearts for the sacrament, may the grace of God, may his gospel message and his redeeming love for you bind you this morning in his word and in his sacrament. All praise be to our Savior for what he has done for us. Amen.